we're using a different recording system so that stuff can get recorded after I'm not here anymore. I just did. <laughs> I don't know whose mother that is. <laughs> My mother's talking to me in this ear, and your mother's yelling at me from the back, you know? So, what, what do we do? Just another day in paradise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. The what? You can hear me now. I'm not even sure which sermon I'm on now. You know. That. Oh yeah, we're talking about being more like Jesus. Can you get that up for me? There you go. says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings. And then this phrase, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so we just ask, what would it look like if we would become more like Jesus? And we've talked about some of the uh, attributes of Jesus, not the theological ones that we normally think about, but, but just the, the very practical application of who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what would it take for us to be like Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to have a Jesus attitude in the things that we do and say. And, and this morning... I want to read a passage out of Matthew chapter 4. Starts in verse 12. It says, Now when he had heard, Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea. It's by the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, and then here's a quote out of Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death upon them, a great light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was bad news for Jesus. His cousin John had been arrested. And 
course, John was going to, to, to be killed. He was never going to be released again. And uh, it, it was a tough time for Jesus. And yet, even in the midst of all of that, Jesus was able to see a bright future. He, he was able to see things as they could be. And so that's what I would like for us to, to talk about this morning is just a little bit about how we can quit looking at the bad stuff and start looking towards a bright future. Start looking for, uh, the word that I've used is start having a better vision of, of tomorrow. What happens when you lose your vision? Back about 350 years ago, uh, the pilgrims landed in North America. Do you realize the vision that they had and the courage that they had to cross the ocean, to go to a new land, a new place that, that they didn't know very much about? Uh, they, but, but they had a vision. Things As bad as things were in the old world, they had a vision of better things taking place in the new world. And so they crossed the ocean and they settled in this unknown land. In the first year that they were there, they established a town with all the laws and the rules and the government and everything of, of a town. In the second year, they actually elected a town council. And in the, that's the beginning of problems when you start <laughs> electing governments. The third year, the government proposed building a road five miles into the wilderness. They wanted to build a road five miles from the sea into the wilderness because there was new land there. There was new people there. Uh, there was new prospects there. And then in the fourth year, the people all got together and tried to impeach the town council because they didn't want to go four mi five miles into the forest. They thought that a road into the forest was a waste of public funds. So in four years, they had gone from being able to see across oceans to not being able to see five miles into the wilderness. That happens to countries. You know, most countries, most governments in our world don't last as long as ours have. You know, they just don't last very long because they're started with a great vision, but over time they lean more towards safety and convenience, and they begin with the desire to reach a community. Same things happen to churches. Churches are, are begun with a, a desire to reach people, to reach people with the gospel, but eventually they become more concerned with themselves than they do about lost people, than they do about reaching out, and so that they lose their vision. Now Jesus never lost his vision. He always knew what he was there for, and he tried to include us in his vision. The question is, can we still see his vision, or are we so caught up in our situation that we don't see his dream for us? Now, I'm not picking on you. I'm not addressing this church by itself. Uh, the church vision, but also to your personal vision. 
How are you? Can, Jesus wanted to include every person in his vision. When I was in high school, when we were seniors in high school, Mr. Harrington was our high school English teacher. Um, he was a uh, Church of Christ lay minister. He uh, was a Christian man. And he assigned us a book to read that, that I'll never forget. And we, we read this story, this book, this novel, about a group of young boys who were stranded on an island without any adults and without any adult supervision. And uh, they devolved from a group of young men to mobs of destructive gangs. Uh, and it's quite a, quite a dark book. But after we were through, Mr. Harrington assigned us to write an essay answering the question, is man basically bad or basically good? Where do we come from? Are we bad people that can get better or are we good people that can get worse? And so we had to write that essay. And, you know, Jennifer and I talked about it and discussed it. And uh, as I remember, we wrote it from two different perspectives. But uh, this was, you know, I was in high school in the 60s. The Vietnam War was raging. Every night on the news there were pictures of battles and young American soldiers in a faraway land and pictures of bags of dead bodies being loaded onto airplanes to come back home. The president, our president had been assassinated when we were freshmen in high school. Uh, major riots were taking place in the cities around our country. A major riot in Los Angeles. A major riot took place in Chicago, almost burned, a, well, it did burn a neighborhood down. It, it was a, uh, an awful lot like what we saw last summer, what we saw on TV, and we saw it in the newspapers, and it wasn't a pretty sight. And Mr. Harrington was asking us to write an essay saying, are we basically good or basically bad? So switch forward from the 60s to 2020. You know, we've watched it again. We've watched riots in our cities. You know, Israel's war again with the Palestinians. You know, there's drought and fires all across the western United States and fires in the cities. Uh, if you read anything, you read that there's a fear of inflation coming back. Uh, our president was impeached not once but twice. Republicans and, and Democrats are in a bitter, ugly war. There are cultural issues being fought all across our nation. Cities are burning. You know, it's just this week, just this last week in Minneapolis that they have tried to reopen the downtown city where the Protesters have they've been there for that whole year. I, I didn't realize that. But the city of Minneapolis is just now trying to return it to normal. And, and we ask this question, okay, are we basically bad or good? Look around. Are, are we good people or are we bad people? Is it different now than it once was? What about the days in the life of Jesus? 
What was it like then? The people of the New Testament were living in difficult circumstances. Rome was their governor and was a difficult taskmaster. They had a terrible government. Uh, the people were, were having problems. The, the Rome ruled Israel with an iron hand, and they had seen war and poverty and famine and unjust taxation. You see, it, it just it kind of seems to be the human condition. The world was a mess in the year zero. The world is a mess in the year 2020. And the world is still a mess today. And now that in 2021 that we've about decided that maybe we're not all going to die of COVID-19, I mean, we've put our church back together. For those of you who are Yes, this is the first Sunday we've had our church back together. We have been meeting with a little group here and a little group there and a little group there and a little group there and a uh, lot of folks on, on Zoom. We're down basically just to my family left on Zoom and they live in New Mexico so they can't be here. Um, and, you know, and I'm glad they're here. I wish I'd have known Natalie was trying to get on. I didn't ever send her the thing. So anyway, be that as it may, things are more normal. We're doing Zoom meetings. Uh, we're doing our Wednesday night still on Zoom, but not because we're afraid of spreading a virus. Uh, most of the people, like I said, are, are back in worship. So we've made it through the year 2020. But if we would have lived in the year zero, it would have been the same kind of a situation, the same need for something to count on, something to hope for, a vision to look towards. And so what would that be? What would be your vision for our church? What would be your vision for, for Dolores, Colorado, for Montezuma County? What, what would be your, your vision for our state or for our country or for your family? or for our church? What would be your vision for it? How, how do you see us getting out of this? Malcolm Muggeridge was a famous British journalist, and he was outspoken about his Christianity. And several years ago, now he's, he's been dead for quite a while now, but before he died, he was a speaker at one of the prayer breakfasts in Washington, D.C., and he shared his testimony of Christ. And after he shared his testimony, he made a number of comments about world affairs, and they were very pessimistic. And someone asked him, Dr. Muggeridge, you have been very pessimistic. Don't you have any reason for optimism? He said, my friend, I could not be more optimistic than I am because my hope is in Jesus Christ alone. He allowed that remark to settle for just a few seconds, and then he added, just think, if the apostolic church had pinned its hopes on the Roman Empire, it wouldn't exist today. So we need to recognize where we need to pin our hopes and it's on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had a vision 
for his world. He had a better vision for his world. He had an answer for all of this. Let me, let me read today's passage again. Now when he heard, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Things could have looked about as dark as they could for Jesus. John the Baptist is thrown in prison and Jesus begins to say to the people of his day, to the ones who are listening, to his disciples, things can be different. The kingdom of heaven is here now, right before your eyes, and it's available to all who will follow me. The kingdom of heaven is not a place in the sky in the by and by. The kingdom of heaven is now and it's here and we can live it today. Jesus was able, and we, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, Jesus was able to tell the story of God's love. He could tell it in languages that they understood. He talked about fishermen and farmers. He used visuals, coins, and wheat kernels. He didn't want people to miss what he was saying. He was a master communicator and great crowds gathered to listen to him, but he didn't gather them so he could entertain them. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to live for the kingdom of God. His aim wasn't to impart information. His aim was to change people's lives. And when Jesus spoke, lives were impacted by what he said. So Jesus came speaking, not of someday, but of today. Not of something in the future, but of something at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his preaching began to create quite a stir. It was like a dream come true. This is what they had been waiting for. It was indeed good news, the best news they had ever heard. Why? Because in the time of Jesus, common Jewish people were pessimistic. They were pessimistic about their government. They didn't think anything could ever change. The rule of the pagan Roman emperors was in set in stone, and it wasn't ever going to be different. You know, at the time Jesus came, the voice of God had been dead in the land for centuries, 400 years. That messianic kingdom that had been promised by the prophets seemed to be never going to appear. And the, the people of Israel, the faithful people of Israel, were victims of Gentile hate and persecution. And out of this setting, a concept of history emerged in Israel, now listen to this, where they exaggerated interest in the future and they dismissed the present. In other words, they started thinking about heaven and they started thinking about the first coming for them, the second coming. They started thinking about the end of the world. They started thinking about those kinds of things 
instead of how can we make a difference today in our lives and in the lives of the folks around us. The Jews expected God to establish a new creation, but they saw that as going to happen sometime in the future. Jesus says, no, it's happening now. God is fulfilling his promise today. And they had abandoned the, the present to the domination of evil and suffering. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's just the way it's going to be. Is where there's evil and suffering and sin, people are cynical and the wrong side seems to be on top. But Jesus, when he came, he came preaching that, hey, things can be different. Not just in the future, but now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. His promise of a better world <coughs> began to fill their imaginations. A world where words like the oppressor and the oppressed had no relevance. A world where people were treated with kindness and respect, where race and nationality didn't matter. Could that ever be? Is it really possible that that could happen? Could things actually change for the better? Jesus said, yes, it can. It can. He came preaching this new kingdom of heaven and the people began to respond. Matthew tells us that rugged fishermen like Peter and his brother Andrew, along with James and John, you realize the passage I read was right at the first of the book of Matthew. It's right at the first of Jesus' ministry. And Matthew tells us that rugged fishermen like Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John left everything, left their boats, left their nets, left their business to follow Jesus. Matthew himself had been dramatically impacted by what he heard and saw in Jesus. You know, we looked at Matthew's life a couple of weeks ago. Matthew turned his back on a lucrative, might have been a little questionable business, but uh, being a tax collector was lucrative in his day. And he turned his back on that. He told his own story later in this gospel about Jesus coming up to his tax booth one day and saying, follow me. And Matthew left his business, his tax collecting, and went to follow Jesus and became one of the disciples. And, and the reason that they did that is because Jesus had a vision of something that could happen right now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to look to the future. It can happen right now. He was going, Jesus, in verse 23, after what we read down in verse 23, it says, Jesus was going through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. He preached, and then he acted, and he said, things are going to be different. And the news spread, and people began to follow him everywhere. They began to see hope. Yes, things can be different. You know, and so we ask ourselves, is there any hope for our culture? Is there any hope for our society? Are we really on a fast road to nowhere going downhill fast? Or is there hope for us and for our world? There is. It's in the message of Jesus. It's in what he said and what he taught. 
you know, the next chapter in Matthew is where Jesus sat down and preached the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you know, you, you've heard that, you've read it. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely. On account of me, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, you know, that, those Beatitudes, that beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, we read those and we say, well, they're, they're nice sayings, but when, when Jesus came and spoke them, he was talking about a better ethic. He was talk, talking about a better society. He was talking about the promise of God working in our world. He said in verse 12, don't worry about persecution. Don't worry about that. If you're killed, heaven's greater. And, and the people who heard his message, the primary people that he was speaking to, the 12, and then the greater number that he was preaching to on the mountain, they heard his message. They became his disciples. And guys, they changed the world didn't happen overnight but they changed the world and it's no wonder then that people were attracted to Jesus he, he, he cast a better vision he was positive about things that were happening he was positive about the future he cast a better vision of the kingdom of God for now and in the future and his message was not simply a message of future hope it was a message that was lived out before their lives and what they previous only hoped for began to happen. What the prophets had longed to see was now being seen and heard by those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. And here's what I want to say to you. We live in that dream. We're 2,021 years into it, but we live in that dream. This church is part of that dream that Jesus had. Your lives are part of that dream that Jesus pushed out, that vision that he had. Uh, now, of course, in Matthew 5, 4 and 5, we're getting ahead of ourselves because there's going to be a crucifixion before it's over. But after the crucifixion, what? There's a resurrection and a new life. And we live in that power. We live in that power of the resurrection. And guys, you and I ought to be able to grasp that vision and not look so much at our own circumstances, but see the vision of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Leith Anderson, he's a, a leadership author. 
from some years back. You guys know I'm a Yankee fan, right? I mean, you guessed that may not, but everybody else knows I am. And I'm absolutely sick that the Red Sox beat them twice in a row now. But being being that as it may, that's why this this why this story touches me so. Um, he said, when I was a boy, I grew up outside of New York City. I was an avid fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers. In fact, I have not yet quite forgiven them for moving west. The arch enemy in my childhood was the New York Yankees. I had seen them only on television and heard them only on the radio until I was invited by my father to skip school and go to the World Series game between the Yankees and the Dodgers. I tell you, it was one of the greatest thrills of my childhood. I remember sitting there and smelling the hot dogs and hearing the cheers of the crowd and the feel of it all. I knew those Dodgers were going to shellac those Yankees once and for all. Unfortunately, the Dodgers never got a single man on base, so my thrill was shattered. I tucked it away somewhere in my unconsciousness until, as an adult, I was in a conversation with one of those fellows who was a walking sports almanac, and I mentioned to him that when I went to my first major league game, he said, I said, it was such a disappointment. I was a Dodger fan, and the Dodgers never got on base. He looked at me and he said, what? You were there? You were there at the game when Don Larson pitched the only perfect game in all of World Series history? I said, well, yeah, but uh, we lost. He says, I was so caught up in my team's defeat that I missed out on the fact that I was a witness to a far greater page of history. It's still the only perfect game in World Series history. And he saw it. And he missed it. Because his team lost. We can be that way, guys. We live in the midst of the greatest kingdom that's ever been committed. And I'm not talking about a political kingdom. I'm talking about the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven. And we've been blessed by it. And we live in it. And we continue to be blessed by it and living into it and so if we want to be like Jesus if we want to be more like Jesus we've got to take our focus off the misery we've got to take our focus off the confusion we've got to take our focus off the, the things that are happening around us I'm not saying that we should forget them I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to make them better but what I'm saying is that our vision needs to be the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm living in God's kingdom. What's your vision? What's your vision for your life, for your family? J. Hudson Taylor said at one time, I love this quote. And I'm going to quit. He said, if your father and mother, your sister and brother, 
if the very cat and dog in the house are not happier for your being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. Being a Christian ought to make a difference. We live in the kingdom of heaven. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to live in that vision. That ought to be our vision for life. You want to be more like Jesus? Well, part of that's having a greater vision for today and for the future. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer today is that you can help us and teach us to be more like Jesus. Father, you can help us to, to do some of the traits that he had and let them become part of our lives as well. Father, I thank you for each one who's here and present. We just ask your blessing on Jesus' name. Amen. Sid, put up our prayer so we can pray it together. Dorothy, hit the lights so you can see it because I want you all to read it with me. Lord, please show me the way today. Show me some aspect of your greatness I tend to overlook. Show me what makes you smile and what makes you sad. Show me people I can touch with your love. Show me who I need to forgive and whom I should seek forgiveness. Show me where my walk and my talk don't match. Thank you for drawing yourself by sending your son Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence my Appreciate Mike, what he does for us. You just, you see how he's cool. He just went through all these problems and just let it blow off his back. <laughs> yes, we hope y'all have a great time in uh, Colorado. Enjoy your vacation. And, uh, God bless each and every one.
My old friend Mark. Yeah, yeah, my mom went to Syracuse.